Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. On the podcast today, we have Jamara Perry and Brian Antoine. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Super cool. Um, we're going to be getting a lot of really cool things. Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I'm uh, producing this podcast on the territories of the Comox, uh, Homoko, Klehus, and Klaaman First Nations, uh, who were one community and share one language before, and still share one language, but they were one borderless community before we came up and separated them into reserves. Um very grateful to be able to produce a podcast on these unceded lands and, uh, and, uh, you know, do my best to, to, to work towards, uh, truth and reconciliation. All right. So, uh, kind of brought Brian Jamar on for a couple, couple of different reasons, I guess, uh, you know, Brian, I, I kind of see, see a lot on my social media and kind of following him. He's, um, 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 his his posts bring light to all our days. I think uh, he's he's a he's he's a funny guy. He got some great funny stuff on social media, which is always a lot of fun. Um, but also, um, and I think through that, I think I just started following him more and and discovered uh, uh, the this initiative that 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 he and and his and his and his partner here Jamar uh, have been doing called the Village Path, which just sounds super super fascinating and super super cool and it's essentially kind of free mental health services for for black men but it's it's that that's that's a just a really simplified way of looking at things we're looking forward to kind of digging deep into kind of the good work you guys are doing and uh you know and and potentially as a model kind of for other folks i was saying to um uh both of you uh, before we we turned on the air i just had a, another fellow on the podcast uh, named dr evan august um and uh, uh he's a psychologist up at uh university of massachusetts which sounds like there's uh from 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 jamar's excitement there's a lot of intersections here so that's kind of cool hopefully they're going to connect but uh he's doing some work in an area called uh the the salabona healing circle study um which uh yeah, you'll hear about on on uh, on the episode we release, but uh, it kind of brought to mind a lot of the good work you guys are doing. So hopefully we can see some parallels there and talk about that. Before we get into the village path and kind of why you started all it up and where it all came from and all the good stuff you're doing, I'd like to just get a little bit of an origin story from the guests when we first started up. So kind of you know how you how you got into the field, um, the you know uh, social work and you know behavior analysis for you, Brian. And, um, and then, and how, how and why kind of, you know, what kind of, what kind of made you decide to kind of go into this, into this field and then, and then kind of linking together how you, how you two connected and, and sort of what was the impetus for starting the village path. So maybe Brian, you can start off for us and then, uh, we'll go over to Jamar. Sure. Sure. Um, I always don't know where to start, but, (laughs) um, how I got into social work and behavior analysis. I would say that um, I knew I always wanted to kind of be uh, some sort of like in some sort of helping profession. Um, I actually went into uh, undergrad for psychology. Mm. 
I actually changed my major just a little bit for the first day of orientation from journalism to psychology. Hmm. Oh, wow. And um, I always thought I would be, you know, this writer that would cover sports, but hmm. it turns out I, I really wanted to kind of help people. And so um, I would say my second to last year, um, you know, I had a, a bunch of these different jobs yeah. and, um, you know, retail and security and, um, but a friend of mine, uh, Samantha, um, back in Boston, um, had mentioned this agency that had a job fair hmm. and, um, the, the agency is called VinFen. Um, the Fen is Fenway. So hmm. for folks who know Boston, um, you know, Fenway is, you know, an area where, uh, you know, Fenway Park is, mm. uh, that's where the Boston Red Sox play. Um, and it was this agency that, uh, works with adults who had developmental and intellectual disabilities. Mm. Um, and when I went into it, I was a one-to-one. So I worked with a gentleman, um, he was 60 years old. Mm. Um, and you know how like some jobs you kind of get thrown in the fire. Yeah. Uh, this was one of those jobs. I was a one-to-one <laughs> and I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, this person, you know, yelled expletives at me and it kind of, you know, quickly uh, helped me, humbled me you mm. know, and showed that like, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, beneath all of, you know, the, the tough exterior is a person that needs support, you know, mm-hmm. and um, eventually would trust me to be there, you know, and I grew up with um, folks who worked in the helping profession. My mom was a CNA mm-hmm. um, and I have a cousin who's now an RN. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so like that patience was kind of like always instilled in me. Yeah. Of like you know this is this is how you support folks who kind of need that that help yeah um and so i did that for about a year um my last year in, in undergrad um my my schedule kind of like cleared up a little bit and it allowed me to um add more hours to to my availability so i was like how about I, instead of working in home, work for a day program? Mm. And so I did that. I worked for an adult day program. And that was kind of my first experience seeing applied behavior analysis being used. Okay. Um, and so I was able to kind of learn behavior plans um, at terrific clinicians. We had, you know, physical therapists, occupational therapists, you name it. Um, yeah. But I used to, um, really like have a lot of conversations with, uh, the, the behavior analysis the analyst that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of like my intro to apply behavior analysis. Yeah. I worked that job for three months and, um, within, um, three to six months, I became a site manager and that gave me the opportunity to really like, get into some of these cases and um, help, you know, game plan with some of the, you know, behavioral issues that we ran into, work with families um, and collaborate in that sense. And so the occupational therapist um, was that I I hold dear to my, like that person is incredible, Bridget. Mm. Um, If you're listening, Mm. like 
she she really changed my perspective she was like you know if you know you're gonna go far you're gonna have to go back and get your you know master's degree you know it can mm. be in anything i'm not gonna she was an occupational therapist she didn't yep. you know she didn't tell me to be, be an ot she was like go get it and i did and that's why um i decided to go to school for applied behavior analysis um i actually started as an msaba and yep. then added the social work later okay um, which was one of the best things my advisors uh, uh uh, advised me to do and yep. because of that i was able to meet jamar perry so, oh, right on. so yeah that that's kind of a abbreviated version of, of how i got into aba and social work. <laughs> <laughs> so so how i mean I, I think it's awesome both of you i think it's awesome that you're social workers i think you know it's obviously for the kind of work you're doing now, it makes a lot of sense. But as a behavior analyst, I, I'm I'm always impressed by social uh, social workers that get MSWs instead of you know masters in ABA or special ed or other things because you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to answer my own question here because but social work you know just brings a lot of skills to being a behavior analyst that you just don't get anywhere else, um, and and to be honest, I think is are, are lacking generally in our field. Which I think is why, and we won't go down this road too much, but why I think some of the reasons why our field is struggling a bit, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, what the community thinks of us is because, you know, we're not given sort of that, those people skills, those therapeutic uh, you know, uh, alliance uh, building skills, you know, which I think are just so necessary. And it's, it behooves me that this isn't sort of a, a, require, acquire, a requirement for behavior analysts. But I'm curious what, um, and this is probably all those reasons, but what was the reason why your advisor suggested you switch over to MSW? Was that something, the advice that he gave those are all his students or she? Or? Uh, well, um, one of the, uh, I think one of the, aside from not having to, to do a thesis, <laughs> uh, I think um, I would say it was the opportunity to, add like you just said mm. add a skill set that not a lot of other professions have you yeah. know like i think in some ways you can't teach soft skills right like some people just get it yeah but i feel like having a social work background at least gets you close you know um i would say the best part of my job which initially was so kind of like technical and um i can't really find the words exactly sure. like kind of like you know very straightforward yeah was assessment yeah assessment just felt like you had this list of questions you asked and you just go down the list right yeah and i kind of felt like because i was given that social work background i'm able to make it and and that could be the true for for anybody um but at least for myself assessment turned into more of like a discussion you know yeah. it's like i'm going to hit everything that i need to hit um within this conversation right yeah. and that um i'm also going to um focus on 
kind of building rapport with all the stakeholders, right? And yeah. that same um, process. Yeah. And like the being able to kind of, you know, remove this barrier and sit down and just um, have this understanding that we're both people, we're all mm. just people. Yeah. I feel like I picked that up more so from social work, you know? Yeah. And because I feel like the majority of the time when you're, you know, learning about behavior analysis, it's very much about principles, right? It's very much about principles and concepts. Totally. And, you know, how technical it is and it becomes rigid. It just yep. becomes, not only is the science a little bit rigid, it just becomes like rigid itself you know yes. and people turn into that and so i think um it, it kind of like it reminded me of like okay this is this is like this is how <laughs> literally like this is how i talk to people yeah know? um and so i would say i would say that like it it allows for so much more of a skill set yeah Are you a solopreneur running your business alone and need help getting more exposure to your target audience while growing your brand? At Beal Marketing Group, we specialize in delivering comprehensive marketing solutions tailored to your unique needs. Our team of seasoned experts excels in crafting creative strategies that captivate your target audience, build brand authority, generate high-quality leads, and streamline your business processes. Whether you're seeking a brand makeover, effective lead generation, or a plug-and-play solution that takes care of everything for you, we have you covered. Services can include strategy sessions, video editing, social media management, brand board development, and even a virtual assistant. When you choose Beal Marketing Group, you're partnering with a team of passionate professionals who treat your business as our own. We go above and beyond to understand your goals, target audience, and unique challenges to craft tailor-made strategies that produce remarkable results. Schedule your free discovery call today at bmgfreeconsult.com. That's bmgfreeconsult.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is village. No, I, I love that. And, and, and the... It's interesting you say rigid because I've often sort of a lot of behavior analysts will work with uh, autistic folks. That's not the only thing we do, but that's probably the main thing or, or right. the, the most common thing that you'll find that a behavior analyst is involved with. Right. And I often find that, you know, because I started in a similar way, you know, with adults and kind of the group home day program kind of setting before I became a behavior analyst. And, um, one thing I always noticed was how rigid, you know, the clients were, but, mm. but it, it was in part because of these schedules that we kind of created for them that were really rigid. Um, and I often wondered, are these folks actually rigid or mm. did we make them rigid, mm. you know, with the kind of way we're doing things? I don't know if that's the case. I don't know any research behind it, but it did, it did seem like, you know, a lot of the frontline staff were, were also pretty rigid. And um, and I don't know if that's sort of a result of, you know, ABA or if that's just, um, you know, 
um, a product of the system, but yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, you know, quickly comment to that. I yeah. think it's, I mean, you know, like when, you know, when you're running just like fixed schedules and you're not fading, right. Yeah. Um, and you're not making, that's another thing. It's like when you're not making your treatment as natural as possible, right? Like yeah. maybe in the beginning, it might be very like black and white. Sure. Then it just doesn't look natural and you yeah. see it, you see it, you feel it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that combined with adequate training, you know, checking back in to see where they're at and fading and, you know, that usually you get into a, a situation where, and there's a lot of amazing practitioners, like I just have to say, um, but you just, you just see it, you see it, you're like, okay, this is really rigid, um, you know, but we're getting, I think we're getting better as a field though. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and, and 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 certainly in terms of amazing practitioners, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning more and more that somehow Missouri is just, you know, stacked full of amazing behavior analysts. I don't, I don't know what's going on in Missouri that 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 <laughs> there's there's just like a whole lot of really awesome behavior analysts in Missouri. Maybe maybe that's different in other states too. But I, I've been I've been mind blown at sort of discovering how many people I, I knew all these people but i didn't know they were all in missouri you know <laughs> and I was like, Wait, you guys are all together like this right. is crazy there's there's got to be some good stuff happening there um mm. before we uh gonna get over to jamar i just have one more question um about um in terms of kind of because we're going to be taught focusing mostly on, on on the village path and then the stuff you're doing there which i think you know there, a lot of that really takes advantage, I think, more of your social work backgrounds and your behavior analysis background. I'm curious, do you do any BCBA behavior analysis work as well, like right now? Mm. Yeah, just like in my my day-to-day. Um, I do. I do. I actually, um, you you talked about amazing behavior analysts in Missouri. I actually yeah. um, work with, with a fantastic one um, by the name of Barb Gross. Yes. Who, um, also does um uh and and warner leland um yes who uh also does the sex aba stuff yeah um and yeah so i do that i do that for my full time which is a lot of work yeah um and so yeah i i am a full-time behavior analyst okay you know um and i for a while I got used to the idea that I was doing the village path on the side, but mm. I think Jamar would agree it's not an on the side job. Um, yeah. What we do with the village path is turning into a full time gig as well. So, but yeah, yeah. that's what I do. I, I, you know, I work with just adults with intellectual developmental disabilities. Yep. Um, you know, I work with some sexual behavior, nice. not just, um, you know, uh, you know, behaviors to decrease, but also, you know, relationships and ghosting and um, building independence in terms of like, you know, a lot of the folks that I work with want to live on their own, you know, they want to have a girlfriend and they want to, you know, um, enjoy the things that um, a lot of us take for granted. Yeah. Um, So, 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I do full time. So. Yeah, right on. No, I just had, I originally had a couple, not from the Missouri sort of section, but a couple of folks from sort of the sex ABA realm on the podcast. Well, Cammy Morgan, Cammy Williams, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and uh, and we touched a little bit on on that. We were kind of more focused on burnout as a topic. Uh, but I just uh, a couple of days ago had uh, Landa Fox on. Yeah, yeah, And she's from my neck of the woods. Um, but, um, That's so um, cool. but she was talking about um, all those names you mentioned as well. And kind of, she, I think she does a podcast with Barb on... Um, uh, it's called the Sex Ed Book Review, which sounds really yep. cool, and lots yep. of cool stuff happening there. Right on, right on, cool. That's a good, great, great intro. All right, Jamar, no, no, your turn. Let, let's let's hear about kind of kind of your story, which I think may be a little different. Um, actually, it's very, very similar and somewhat oh. different. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I too majored in journalism undergrad. No. Um, yes, yeah, somehow, some way. That's crazy. I also worked security um, for a huh. amount of time. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I always think back to New York security and how that kind of prepares me for what I would do when it comes to listening to people. Fair enough. And yeah. Think about security. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck yep. listening to people and having people talk to you about their lives every day. True enough. Yeah. Good um, point. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was years kind of prepared me for what I would be doing in the future. So I literally kind of stumbled on to social work. I didn't, and that's kind of what's different about my story than my story. I never really kind of wanted to be in a helping profession, never thought about it in Hmm. those ways. Um, When I finished my undergrad and got my social work degree, I was just kind of working in security still. For another year trying to figure out what i was going to do um and then a friend of mine was a teacher uh was like oh this program started um actually it was probably in the second third year yeah uh, that's how i was working there i uh, think you think i think you'd be great for it apply for the job of course in the kids it was an african-centered program um which is something i would like sort of interested in got hmm. uh hip to all these things when it comes to community work and just working with kids um also, like Brian's story, I was kind of jumped right into the fire that I never had any background with working with kids wow. um, in that way. I was working with adjudicated youth. Um, so these were kids who were leaving uh, juvenile detention centers and being reacclimated into the school system. Wow. The program name was Sankofa Life Passages, fairly successful program. Um, only, I think it took about one million dollars to support this program so we did a bunch of amazing work had uh, men throughout the public school systems of philadelphia um super successful graduation rates were up in these wow. schools a whole bunch of amazing work um after i was there for not even a year the program ended um we tried to pretty much do what we did with those paths sort of pick this program back up recreate it that didn't work out. Folks went their separate ways. Around that same time, I met my wife, my wife-to-be. Um, her nephew had just killed a man in St. Louis. Wow. She was originally from um, with a hammer. This is around the time of the Mike Brown incident with the Bosnian man. So he was a mm. pretty decent Bosnian community. Yeah. Um, so she's like, oh, you know, we had just started dating literally like the same weekend this all happened. 
she was like, oh, I have to move back to St. Louis. Um, and, you know, so I was like, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm not going to play in Philadelphia. Long story short, we went back and forth. We dated long distance a while. Eventually, I moved to St. Louis. Hmm. Uh, didn't want to be here not doing anything. So she was like, why don't you major in social work? I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll apply <laughs> to see grad school. I don't want grad school. So didn't think I would get in. Yeah. I got into grad school. Um, major in social work. Didn't know a lot about social work at all. Yeah. I remember, I remember being interviewed for my first practicum and uh, the person asked me what was Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Which now I'm like, how did I not know what Maslow's hierarchy <laughs> Yeah, right, eh? Yeah. Back on it, right. Um, but that just shows you to know how little I knew about social work. Yeah. Um, didn't have a background in it. I was already behind in it. Wasn't my major. Didn't know a lot of the language in classes, but I kind of knew the work mm. um, in a weird way and what needed to be done. Yeah, um, I just jumped into it because I had a love for working with kids at that point, specifically black and brown boys. Yeah, um, so I had a vision of what that looked like, um, and that vision eventually turned into the work in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, me and Bryant, uh, we were on like some boards trying to diversify the program and the schools and the social work department where we were at. And eventually he and I, you know, we didn't know a lot about each other at the time, but we knew we liked sports and we knew we both were from the East Coast and hmm. that was pretty much it, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that's all we kind of needed, right? Uh, I knew, you know, I thought Brian was kind of cool, so um, don't tell him that, though. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, how about we start these groups? And he said, yes, we started these groups and the bridge path kind of took off from there. I would like to interject. Um, so uh, I just started telling people this. Like, so Jamar is like a visionary, mm. right? Like when he was kind of up the village path, he actually thought up like everything that we do now. He had it all in, like in his head, right? Like mm-hmm. we sat down, uh, you know, over, you know, some beers, whatever. And he kind of like talked through, you know, and then, you know, I would call this the village rope and I would do this and I would call this the village blank, you know? And, and so it, it started with the groups, but this whole idea of, I guess the whole uh, skeleton of what we currently do with the village, he had it all thought up. You know, um, which is incredible. Like looking back at it, it's like, no, nah, like that's everything that we do now. Mm. So um then I probably didn't see it, but looking back yeah, he, he, like, I was gonna say he thought I was crazy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I, I was like, okay, okay. Um but looking back, like literally everything you thought up then yeah. we do now. That's awesome. So I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, your energy, Jamar, and, 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 and I imagine it was just sort of, because you're sort of saying, you know, you had the, you didn't know the lingo as far as social work. You didn't know much about social work per se, but, but you knew the work and um, which is, is that how you got in? Like, I, I, usually I, I, my, my experience with social work is different. Uh, because and, and skewed, I guess a bit. My parents were both social workers; they're retired now, um, and similarly met in social work school and the whole nine yards. But 
they both got bachelors of social work first. Um, you know, so they knew about social work and then they went and got masters of social work. Um, and, and I know like there's lots of, I think there's lots of fields that used to have bachelor's degrees and, and, and now they're less important now. Um, you know, um, and, and most folks kind of go into a master's program, but I'm curious sort of, you know, like, how'd you get in? <laughs> you, you, you didn't really even know what social work was. So that, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm amazed. I didn't think I would get in. Um, I remember receiving the, the the paper being like, it was around my birthday that year too, huh. um, which is in May. Um, so Ryan and I also share like our birthdays like a few days apart. Nice. Um, so I remember getting the acceptance letter. I'm just staring at it like, wow, he accepted me to the school. Like, how did I? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like you, like how did I get in? Like, yeah. Um, I was just applying literally on a whim. Like, literally, yeah. I did my to do while I lived in this new space far from everything I had known. And, yeah. Love growing up. Um, I don't know. I mean, they, I guess they saw something in me that I yeah. wasn't super cognizant of. I was like, oh, you know, I moved to St. Louis. Um, my wife sold me on being a lot of, you know, social work programs here. Right. Um, a lot of, a lot of places I could work, you know, I could do the similar work I was doing in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It was weird because being here just kind of woke something up in me in a mm. weird way kind of mm. a light switch clicked yeah um, when i moved there in terms of like just the hustle and grind um and just wanting to work and just wanting to figure things out yeah not being around i guess not having distractions of family friends loved ones uh maybe yeah, fair enough and moved away yeah um but yeah to answer your question i have no idea <laughs> um, i yeah. think maybe you know also there's not a lot of black men there's not a lot of men in these programs, right? Yes. Um, there's not a lot of black men in these programs at all. Um, so I'm sure that probably helps me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, accepted yeah. me. Um, yeah. Literally the reason why, you know, I started probably connecting with Brian because it wasn't anybody else there like me and Brian, right? Mm, so mm. <laughs> and we didn't, I don't think we had a class together while we were in school. Um, it was just maybe like passed together in the hallway being like, oh, here's mm. another black guy. What's yeah, up? yeah. Um, here's another guy, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which you, you don't see a lot of, right? And that's not that's something I had no idea of again before I, I joined the profession. Yeah, um, I didn't know how many, but there wasn't a lot of men in these programs. Um, so I'm sure that probably has something to do with it. Um, yeah. I'm pretty decent at um speaking and talking. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm sure that probably has something to do with it. Um, and not so bad yeah. at writing either. You know, you were into journalism. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a, bit, I'm a so. fairly decent writer. Yeah. I got nominated for a push cart. Wow. Without trying, it's something else I didn't try to do. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I guess all of those things probably helped me. The fact that I was a male, yeah. the fact that I was black, the fact that, you know, I could carry a conversation and probably hype things up a little better than what they were. Yeah. Um, the fact that I had a vision yeah. um, for what I wanted to do yeah. um, probably helped. And yeah. All those things worked in my favor. No, I mean, I think you, you you really you've already told me how you got in. I mean, uh, uh, you know, but I think I think, and as, how'd you like the program? Like, how'd you guys both like the program? Yeah, I think it might be for for different reasons, but so I did the whole ABA or be verified course sequence. Yeah. And then my did my social work, and what right. that did was 
you know, then it, it kind of reminded me that there were all of these different modalities out there. Yeah. And I was kind of force fed this idea that everything else is mentalistic. Yes. Right? And so I think, I think what it did was it opened my eyes and I'm now getting all this different information and perspective. And mm. I thought that was fantastic, okay. you know? And in addition to that, you get a lot less, like when you speak out, it's gotta be conceptually systematic mm-hmm. and more, this is how I feel about this topic. You know, this is what this means to me as a practitioner, yeah. you know, attachment, um, uh, you know, attachment. I like attachment. And when I graduate, I'm going to use this, you know, in yeah. and I think for me, it was eye-opening because it was like for a year straight, it was just about, just about ABA, you know? Yeah. And, you know, or just like reading the DSM and even though like you're taught like, well, it's about the behavior and what you can see, you know, even though like we have radical, you know, behaviorism and BF Skinner and all of that, um, there's still this shift to like, okay, we focus on what we can see. And as I think what we lack as spirit analysts and that we're getting better at is understanding that, um, you know, there are things called diagnoses and how does that play into behavior, you know? And, you know, trauma, how does that show up, you know, in mm. behavior? Yeah. Etc. you know? And so I thought for me, it was like, wow, I'm getting so much more info. Yeah. And, and I, I think I had like somewhat of a skill set because I was coming from a psychology background already yep. that it reminded me, okay, there are just, just so much info that's useful and will allow me to be an even better behavior analyst. So I thought, I personally thought it was great. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to diss the institution. Right. But not all the instructors were great, you know, Mm. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, you know, you know, not everyone's perfect. Right. Um, But I feel like the content, like the stuff that I was then, it was almost like, uh, I was being like rehydrated, you know, like I was just de- uh, deprived of like yes. everything else, right? It was just behavior analysis. And I was like, no, there's just so much great stuff out there that is useful to the work that we do. Yeah. And so that's what I thought of it. I thought yeah. it was it was great in that way. Yeah. Jamar? Um, strength-based perspective. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, again, being someone who wasn't coming from like the social work background, I didn't have yeah. all the jargon, I didn't have all the language, I didn't have the lot of people I already had because they were like, oh, I got my BSW, I I did this already, I did that already. Yeah. I didn't have any of those things. But what I was able to do is I was able to kind of revert everything that I learned there to what I would be doing, right? So gotcha. I know I wanted to work specifically with black and brown boys. So everything I did in terms of projects, everything I did in terms of research, everything I did in terms of learning about social work was kind of geared towards that. Um, 
one of the negatives I would say is, you know, looking back on it, even in real time, you know, a lot of the instructors weren't, they probably were great social workers, probably great people within the field, but not necessarily the best um, educators, I would say. Sure. Um, you know, being, you know, even, you know, Brian and I are thinking about maybe going back and teaching a class. Um, hmm. You know, we, we could know the field very well. Um, it doesn't mean we would be great instructors, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I enjoyed about it is the person, you know, you were personal with most of the instructors. Um, it was very much different than the high school relationship or even an undergrad relationship. Hmm. It's almost like you were peers with them. Cool. Um, the university loves us. They still invite us back. We both were just awarded um, the Outstanding Alumni Award for 2023. Wow. Um, just a few, a few about a month ago, maybe. Um, that was so both of you? Still yep. So wow. I got his for ABA. Yeah, I got it for ABA and Jamar got it for the social work program. Amazing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, we can't Congrats. talk too bad about the university because they still are. <laughs> 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 they still are they still are looking out for us and love the work that we're doing. Yeah. They also realize that, you know, it's a um give take relationship. Um yeah. so they realize that, you know, they, they need us and you know, we realize that in some ways we need them. Yeah. Um and then they're honest about that, you know, so I'm fine with that. Um but to answer your question, you know, it was good, it was bad, it was it was, it was life. It wasn't perfect, it wasn't yeah. imperfect. Um, I would say for me, not being prepared to be in a class, um, and I, I had to, this is when I started seeking therapy, actually, when I wanted to seek therapy. Um, the difficult thing for me there was being a black male in some of these spaces with white folks who would be working with black folks who just were a little clueless about the people they would be working about um and certain things would come up in class um that kind of made me feel like i was losing it a little bit um and, and those things those were the hard things right everything else was stuff i can get over i can get over having a teacher that wasn't so great yeah so great i can get yeah. over not doing well in the class but those things were like these people will be working in community and aren't really in my opinion, prepared to work in these communities. Mm. Um, and, and and that was the stuff that kind of bothered me. Yeah. Um, even beyond just like the um the passive aggressive things and things of that nature that people sure. typically clear. Um and even some of the professors I would say. Uh so those were the things that stuck with me is just uh some of those some of those folks weren't really prepared to enter into the world that they would be, you know, working in. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I could see how that would be, which isn't the university's fault, you know. No, no, but I mean, I mean, it's, it's sort of, as you said, I mean, you and Bryant were the only, only folks you kind of saw in the hallways looking like each other, um, mm -hmm. and yet, you know, because of, and let me really go off on a tangent here, but you know, because of the, you know, sort of nature of the world and, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, it tends to be. There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human expressions gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them, modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, 
reducing stereotypes, and increase validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret word is rope. A lot of black and brown kids that are needing needing help from, from you guys. And, uh, and what's, what's happening everywhere is that, you know, you've got these well-meaning professionals that, that um, just aren't, you know, culturally aware, culturally responsive, um, you know, they, they, just, they don't get it, um, you know, I mean, um, and for, for, you know, for, for those, for those kids, it's, 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 you know, from the stories I've heard, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be a lot more powerful, a lot more meaningful to have support from somebody who looks like you. Um, and also it's going to, you know, motivate you to know that there's, you know, there's, there's more to life, you know, for, for people that look like them, because they see guys like you doing that, but, but to, to, to watch that and to know these folks are the ones that are going to be going out and working with those kids and you're not, you know, um, necessarily with the same kids and you can almost, and, and you know, stop, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you could almost sort of imagine what their trajectory would be like with those folks. Um, and, and, you know, and, and maybe, then that that could be hard for you. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. I would. I wouldn't even just uh, categorize just the people working with kids. You know, people working with the homeless, people working in community. I remember um, we yeah. had a, we had a, I remember one the one class that was the hardest for me. It was a couple classes that were hard, but it was a community organizing class, and you know, we had, they invited a guest speaker who was just talking about the benefits of gentrification. Now, gentrification is part of the reason why I actually had to move to St. Louis because it ran rampant in the neighborhood I'm from. Yeah. You know, my grandmother bought her house 50 years ago for, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand dollars Yeah. Now houses are being built, you know, across the street from her for 40000 sorry, $400,000. Yes. Um, homes. Um, and people are knocking on her door. You know, she's a double amputee from diabetes. People are knocking on her door trying to get her house, you know. Um, literally, yeah. Um, telling her she didn't pay her taxes and the house and a whole bunch of other things. Wow. So these things would set me off in ways, and you know, these things would directly impact me. That wasn't, you know, other people in the classroom weren't directly impacted by these things. Um, but that's always my question: is why do why do you want to work in these communities? Um, <laughs> I know why I want to work in these communities because you know these things have impacted me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always just was curious about those sort of things. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, part of, part of the reason I asked too is, is uh, you know, uh, it does sound like at least the school, you know, saw something and you know, saw something in you, you know, and 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 saw that passion and saw that need. And I hope I hope it wasn't just, you know, because you're a black man. Uh, although I get it. I mean, I get the being a man part. It definitely. Oh, we lost we lost him. I'll just keep talking. I get the 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 being a man part. Uh, I mean, I know for me in the field, I've always been the solo guy. I remember I got hired for my job, my first job in the field. A uh, guy said, "Listen, I, I I don't." I said, "I don't know what autism is." He said, "It doesn't matter, bud. You're 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 six feet tall and you're a guy, and, uh, and we're we're bringing you into a building with a bunch of." Uh, a bunch of teenage boys that are, you know, that are, that are having a lot of struggles and, and it's, and, and we, we need some guys in here 
actually to do physical restraints and things like that. So that was really mm-hmm. a, a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system the first time kind of coming in. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, uh, it, 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 uh, it, it sounds like, you know, I mean, you know, like you said, you're good, you're, you know, you got some speaking skills, you got some writing skills and you had a vision. And I think that would be enough, you know, for sure to, to sort of, to sort of, uh, to get you in. And it sounds like, and, you know, it sounds like everything kind of fell into place. I mean, there's gotta be a, a spiritual kind of, um, um, uh, piece here as well. I mean, to connect you to you know, in this school. Um, uh, and also for you guys to have so much in common before you met is, is kind of wild. Um, um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's awesome that it sort of, uh, got you to where you are and I'm, I'm glad you still have a relationship with them. It's amazing. Congratulations on the outstanding alumni award. That's fabulous. I mean, that's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just one second. So, um, so yeah, so right on. So maybe you, you've alluded to it a bit, Jamar and, and Brian, you, you've, um, you know, you know, really hammered in that the village path was, 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 you know, a lot, a vision of Jamar. So maybe before we get to the actual creation of this organization and the work you're doing, maybe Jamar, if you're able to articulate it a bit, I think you will be, um, with the speaking skills and the writing skills, um, why, why, uh, what, what, what your vision sort of was? What, what was this vision that was forming for you in this program? And and kind of once you met Brian and started having these conversations, um, you know, that kind of got you to the village path. What, 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 what were these these thoughts you were having? So when I moved to St. Louis, um, it was a culture shock. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think the one thing that kind of shocked me is I would go to like, I remember at the time we had like a mayor's race. I would go to like a mayor's race, it was like a party or a club. Yeah. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't see a lot of black men. Um, and my, my thing was how do I create community, right? I had, I had a lot of great friends back home, a lot of great family back home. So I wasn't really trying to create that. I think I was initially, but that, that's unrealistic, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing was like, okay, how do I bring a group of black men together um, without having to worry about like, or without without the without the emphasis being about sports or just about like jokes or hmm. grinding each other up or whatever. Um, yeah. And then actually before that, let me rewind. Before that, um, a friend of mine, James Miner, who um, runs a business with my wife, ACG, uh, was together. Um, they have this called Undivided. Um, so before that, he and I, well, he facilitated um, something called the Men's Story Project, where a group of men would get together and tell stories about how masculinity impacted them. Mm. So we just wouldn't jump right into the story. We, we would have these meetings like weekly and work on these stories together. Mm. And that kind of rekindled my my thirst for writing and creating yeah. a whole bunch of other things. Um, so when that ended, I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of missed this space. I kind of like this space. Um, so I wonder, can I do something similar with a group of black men um, and having a meeting for men? At the mm-hmm. time, I was working at a job I didn't love. I was an alumni advisor at a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty boring work. Um, Set in the office all day. Um, and I was kind of bored. I was go home. It was summertime. I was slow at the job anyway. Um, and I was just like, ah, you know, I kind of just don't want to pursue my existence now that I've graduated from school. I'll have that. 
didn't have a lot of friends in the area. My wife was just off just living her best life with a million friends and a million hmm. things to do that involved women and black women. And she was always out. But uh, I don't want to live my life like this, just being home hmm. and not having to work. Um, so this is around the time I talked to Brian about creating like, um, it wasn't called the Village Path at the time. It was like the writing circle. Um, well, you know, let's, let's, let's do a group. And I talked to Brian about this. Another friend of ours, Bobby, he was doing some work where I was working at the time, um, with the boys and talking about masculinity. Um, he also had did the Men's Story Project. He was like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, I would come to it. I would support it. I was like, okay. Hmm. So we did that. We rolled out the ball August of 2019, um, at a community center. Folks came. Um, it was a good vibe. I enjoyed facilitating. I thought it was great. Hmm. Um, I really enjoyed facilitating this group. The first time I did it, um, and we did it and did it and did it and did it until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, we went online. Um, once we went online, um, George Floyd happened. Hmm. Um, around this time also, before that, we thought maybe we could create another program where men um, could get free therapy who came for our groups. Um with George Floyd happening, we went from wanting to raise $1,000 to raising $16,000. Mm. We were also doing a podcast at this time, um, Black Mental Village Podcast. Um, and then things just kind of started to snowball after that, right? Mm. Um, we picked up, you know, a decent amount of followers in the area and had a name, which is still growing and growing. Um, so, yeah, all those things kind of led to one after another. Um, yeah. Serendipitous a lot of ways. Wow, and so uh, let's just talk a little bit about the name. What so what? Why why we call it the Village Path? What was where's that come from? Um, uh, so it's the pro so it's the Village programs to access therapy and healing. Um, is the path. Okay. I think my wife actually came up with that. Nice. Um, she's really good at acronyms. I'm not <laughs> a big acronym person. I kind of think they cheat a little bit, but it just made sense, <laughs> right? Yeah, she did well there. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, she's a writer. So um, the thought was we would have a bunch of different programs with the village theme to house all of these things. So at this point, when we came up with that name, we had already had the Village Hawk. We had already had Black Mental Village Podcast. We we had already had the, the Village Ropes, maybe, I think. We were working on it, um, which is right of passage program for boys. Um, and I think we're working on the village tap which is a therapy assistance program so the thought was to kind of create a village a village of programs um, mm. a village of programs for spaces of healing um so instead of having all these different programs and names and things we kind of wanted one name for everything to kind of be housed and that was the process you really rock the acronyms here. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Not your bad wife, for somebody who really hates acronyms. Right? Yeah, your, your wife's on it. The village talks, the village drove, the village tap, and they all and they all they they they, they all sound good. Um, well, I, I did come up with the village hawk. I think I came up with that one. <laughs> I thought I came up with the village tap. She might have came up with that actually. Yeah, and so village hawk. That's the village healing and writing circle. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to you guys before we hit record. I just had um, I had uh, guy on the podcast, Doctor Evan August, 
Um, and he was talking about uh, some of the work he's doing with uh, these things called the Salabona Healing Circles. And I was like, I've heard about healing circles somewhere before. And I realized it was from talking to you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, and we, you know, and we, uh, we talked a bit and, and you and I chatted a bit before we hit record and that there's kind of some similar language going on there. But I think the big difference probably between the work uh, Dr. August is doing and what you're doing is this writing component. Um, and, uh, and it now makes really good sense why you'd have a writing component with you guys both having a writing background, your wife having a writing background. It makes sense to kind of build that strength in there. So I wonder if you could just, I wouldn't mind hearing a bit about kind of what all the, what the, what these, what these kind of three programs are. So what kind of happens at the village talk? How does that work? You want to take that, Brian? Yeah, I could take it. Um, so um, it's just um, as uh, the acronym states, you know, so there's two major components. There's healing and then uh, writing. And so in the beginning, we do just a basic check-in. Um, we call it Habari Ghani, which mm. is, I believe, Swahili for what is the news. Mm. And we talk, we ask participants to engage in this simple activity where they um, provide they they um, uh, take a turn talking about their experience and they provide maybe one thing that's positive that's going for them and then one thing that's negative that's going for them mm. we usually say um, you know it's easier or better to come out with the difficult and then end on a high note mm. But that's the healing component because it sounds so simple, but when you're in a circle of men where you've never maybe engaged in this practice before, except for maybe in a therapeutic, like a, uh, like therapy setting, um, you're really just like spilling your guts out, you know, to, um, to men, black men. Mm. Um, and so, it, it could be really um, liberating for the person, but powerful for everyone in the space. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, that person's experience, you know, sharing their experience. Um, what also is going on then is that the other people in the circle are listening, which is something else that we have a skill that we have to acquire and practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we find healing catharsis, not only through sharing our experiences, experiences but also listening and then the other end of it is a writing component right and usually we you know use kind of like the themes around holidays or maybe someone has a really cool um thought-provoking you know subject that um people may want to write about or if people have their own pieces that they brought to the circle Mm. and want to share it then we have an opportunity for people to share and so it's kind of like those two major pillars of what we call a healing writing circle. But even in between that, um, you know, Jamar, um, sometimes when he's facilitating, he might also include some mindfulness as well. Hmm. So maybe some body movement or, you know, um, some meditation, you know, just uh, a simple way for us to kind of get up and get active as well. So that's also kind of like a way for us to like heal holistically as well. So that's kind of like, you know, in a nutshell, what we do with the Healing Writing Circle. 
Yeah, that's fabulous. So being vulnerable and writing um, are maybe not things you would normally, you know, think of when you thought about, think about a group of men hanging out. Um, you know, I think this day and age, you know, things are changing and sort of in terms of sort of, you know, um, stigma and identity and whatnot, but it's, it seems like, you know, this, this would be a pretty uncomfortable activity for some of these guys, um, at least initially. Um, uh, is it because the whole time, because it's sort of a, a group that's, you know, probably probably has folks that have been in it for a bit, and folks that are new, and and uh, and of course, you know, Jabari facilitating and, and 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 sort of modeling, you know, some of those things that folks just get really comfortable with it. Or, or do folks like take a while to kind of start contributing? They have to kind of go th go through a few meetings, just kind of watch and see how it goes. I'm, I'm curious, sort of just what participation it sounds like it's great but what 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 participation kind of looks like for maybe like a, a new guy kind of coming into the group i think we do a decent job of letting folks well okay yeah i was gonna say we do a decent job of letting folks know what they're getting themselves into but i think yeah. there's times people show up and like i don't know what getting myself into <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i think you know through word of mouth through social media through our instagram page Mm. Um, people kind of vaguely know what we're doing. Yeah, I think if people don't know anything, it's like the the writing portion of it. Um, and you know, we've kind of switched what we do up with it a little bit recently, so it's more thematic um, mm. when we do it. Um, so it's not just like we're doing everything on rent cycle repeat every month. Yeah. Um, so now it's like more themes. Um, if something happens in the news or the press, it's like we kind of market it that way. Gotcha. Or if somebody has an idea that they kind of want to share with a group, um, we kind of done that. We've done drum circles. Um, mm. Last time we did like um, a prompt called Unmask, where we, we took mask and we talked about what we uh, show the world on the inside, on the front of the mask, on the back of the world. We show what we keep inside. And don't show. Mm. Um, so in terms of participation, it's kind of over the board. Rarely have people come and be like, oh, I just kind of want to observe. Um, that has happened maybe like once out of I don't know how many times we've done these things over the last four years now. Um, but yeah, that that rarely happens. Most of the time, people come and participate. Yeah. Uh, I think you know usually if we have like younger kids in the room, like high school age, or like my nephew who I who I, who I take care of, um, usually they're like a little more guarded. Um, they find a little more weird. But um, usually the older guys who come, like the adult males come, they, they usually kind of pour their hearts out. Mm. Um, um, and then there's some people I feel like who may be a little guarded, who may need like time, but those people keep coming. And they, yeah. they eventually kind of break away from those things and open up what they feel comfortable. And so so who who sort of, who are these guys? Like, where are they coming from? Um, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just all all backgrounds initially we uh, initially like jamar said there were friends of ours acquaintances just um to kind of help us get started um and then initially um we partnered with jamar had done a breakout group um at a conference called the forum this was in 2019 
um, and organization that was running it, Williams and Associates, um, who focuses on um, HIV prevention and mm. support. Um, and from that breakout group, we had a lot of black and brown men come from that group. Um, and so we still continue to, to um, talk with and be friends with a lot of those folks as well. Um, some of the, the you know, uh, LGBTQIA folks from, from that group. Um, so it is an inclusive group as well. We wanted to make sure that like, this wasn't, you know, um, blackness isn't a monolith, right? And not everyone has the same experience. Yeah. And not everyone, you know, this wasn't a group for just black straight men. This was a group for everyone, you know, and making sure that, you know, um, we were as inclusive and uh, as possible was very important for us, yeah. especially in the beginning, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and so, so yeah, we had folks with just so many different backgrounds, you know, and, um, you know, just to, you know, you know, piggyback from what Jamar was saying before, um, early on, it, I don't know, maybe it is, it is a spiritual thing, you know, mm. early on, um, just engaging in that initial practice, we found that a lot of people were willing to engage, you know, and we have ground rules when we start. Um, and usually we say, you know, people have the opportunity to participate and pass and mm. very infrequently do we see that people pass you know usually people do participate and the folks that who do come come because they really need it yeah you know like they're really like hanging on to that to that low that low has been really like messing with them mm. and they just want to they just want to talk about it you know yeah. but we noticed that when people were willing to participate there was just something like in the air some energy that was in the air mm. where people were like wow like not only have i never done this before but i've never felt anything like this you know cool. um and i think that's something that's extremely powerful you know and it has something to do with our society you know like black and brown people you know and a lot of different indigenous a lot of different um, groups are, are based on collectivism yes whereas you know a lot of our society today is built on capitalism and individualism yeah you know, like how much can i get how much can i do for myself yep. and when you engage in a circle like that where you care about everybody who is in that circle it's just different you don't have the opportunity to do that on a day-to-day -day basis so yeah it's just it is powerful yeah that no, sounds like it. that's awesome cool um all right well let's let, let's hear about the next one let's hear about about the rope so this thing seems seems like it's more for the younger folks so let's hear a bit about what what happened what happens there um so initially uh i got into kind of this field by doing rite of passage work um so honestly like you know what we're doing really technically probably is more people who've done writer passage work, writer passage work. Um, so it's kind of like a name only, really, mm. honestly. Um, but in some ways, yeah, it is a little bit. 
but really it's kind of us modeling the village hawk for um teenage boys so it's a lot more structured a lot more um guided when it comes to the conversation um and we mix it up we have all different types of conversations depending on what's going on on a weekly basis so right now we do that once a week at an after school program um for an hour with a group of boys um and a lot of it's just pretty much the little talk but it's a, it's a scaled down version right uh, it's a lot more prompt driven um a lot more thought driven a lot more process driven than, than the village talk is um we don't really have a, a writing component. Sometimes we might do a little something with it. Um, but mostly it's about, you know, taking kids from one level of uh, existence to another level of existence. Um, and yeah, so I would say, you know, we, we have a lot of this conversation in there. It's, it's, it's kind of like the hawk with a little yeah. bit scaled back. So just, just, just for me, what's... what? What do you mean exactly by a rite of passage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, initially when I got into the work in Philly, um, I worked for a program called Sankofa Rites of Passages. Um, and hmm. that, you know, so we were all kind of allowed to do our own things. Um, so much like, you know, much like Jewish boys when they when they reach a certain age, and yeah. they have, they have a, a bar mitzvah. Right. Uh, the thought process for writing passages was that um, uh, some folks, depending on where they grew up in the continent of Africa, have writing passages, right? Okay. That may not be as popular or as, you know, well, I don't say marketing, but well um, known as um, a bar mitzvah. Right. Um, so the thought process was to have something similar for black and brown boys in other mm-hmm. cities. Um, maybe not a bar mitzvah, but maybe some way of going from what we typically classically have called boyhood to adulthood. Yeah. Um, now, that's not really kind of what we do with the rope right now, um, because I kind of want to learn more about writer passages. I only worked for that program for a year. But mm. um, I never got too, too deep in like the African spirituality stuff they were doing or the focus that they were doing. Um, people who worked there were way farther along in that process than I was. Um, and until this day, I haven't really fully engulfed myself within that work that I would like mm. to. Um, so, yeah, when we say writer passage, it's, it's just another it's the process of going from childhood to, you know, adulthood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and also we get the opportunity to do something that um, – not not a lot of those black and brown boys get to contact and that's to build them emotionally Mm. Um, and so in some of these groups are talking about you know the feelings wheel you know and what would you do in this situation like how did you feel when that came up for you Mm. Um, something that I wish I was able to learn when I was growing up as a young black boy Um, and so that that's a huge component of it, mm. you know what I mean? Um, and, and growing up and becoming an adult, um, you know, so we get to work with these young men um, in a, a, at a crucial point in their life, you know, while they're transitioning into adulthood. So, um, so yeah, even if we just focus on that component alone, 
and that's that's huge in my mm. opinion so we start that off usually ritualistically with the high and low check-in too um so for example like this year um we had this you know we had uh one of the kids was in a school shooting um, wow talking about what that was like and we wound up seeing a few other kids who were actually shot um so we work we work with a nonprofit called the bullet injury clinic twice a week now so we got to see a couple of kids who were actually shot that day wow um, one of the kids actually tried to help save one of the teachers who was murdered that day. Um, wow. And actually, that came up later on with another um, young man in that group who one of his classmates brought a gun to school, and they were just talking about the process of how um, school was on lockdown and how he knew this kid and how close he was to the kid and uh, why he bought the gun. And, you know, so a lot of times, really, you know, they, they get it. You know, I, w- I would rather just have a conversation with those kids on a weekly basis, but knowing how teenage brain works, that, you know, they might need some prompts. Yeah. They need to actually have to go through these high and low check-ins, I don't know, 20 times, 30 times, before they kind of, it's like, oh, this is kind of what we want to talk about here. So, for example, when that happened, we kind of balled whatever we were going to do that day up in the trash and just threw it away. Like, okay, we're having these conversations about safety. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How are you mentally doing? Things like that. So. Wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, for these kids, because I, I mean, I, I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate and privileged, I guess, to not grow up in, in a, in an age of of school shootings, uh, or in a lo- location so much, but. You know, I, I I have often wondered about sort of these kids that are involved in these things. You hear about sort of, you know, standard kind of grief counseling and whatever. The, the things that are always made available, you know, by a district when, you know, an incident occurs. But um, I got to think you, you're, you're like, these kids need this, must need this so much. Like, this is, this is like saving lives, it sounds like. I mean, it must be. I mean, this is. I, I've just never heard of any, anything like this for kids. It's, this is, it's, wow. Yeah, it's funny because one of the kids, yeah. we, actually, I saw two boys who were in the school shooting. Um, um, and it was just amazing how, you know, both of them were kind of just nonchalant about it. Yeah. It kind of like the, the, the scary part. Really scary, yeah. Is that these kids are just like, oh. But also, you know, these kids have, extreme abilities to bounce back at that age yeah in ways that we don't think about you know things happen to us maybe. <laughs> we're done for a long time where then yeah. they're kind of like a little more uh but then again it's like you know it's like kind of breaking down those barriers too of those things um and the fronts they put up uh, right yeah i'm right well, Brian, no, exactly no like the the front too is a real thing because again like just like in general boys aren't really taught how to like talk about their feelings yeah and so sometimes it's like prying you know you know jamar and i sat in a session together talking to someone and it's just kind of like i'm kind of like hacking and um just removing the layers bit by bit, you know, of, you know, how this person's feeling, how they're coping, what do they need, you know, like, um, 
you know, how do you respond when this situation happens? Because um, I believe that there was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jamar, but like shortly after the actual shooting, when they came, finally came back to the building, there was some sort of alarm that was raised again. Um, mm -hmm. And so talking about just that re-traumatization and, um, you know, how they dealt with it. And it's just like, you're dealing with, you know, society not giving folks the tools to kind of express themselves. Yeah. Um, even more so for Black folks, um, the stigma that's, you know, um, associated with it, how we're just supposed to kind of like push through and be resilient. And there's, there is this front, you know, there is a front and it, it's like, it's going to take much more work than us just sitting down in one session to kind of unpack it. But that's kind of the battle that we got to go through, even like in hosting our sessions, our, our healing writing circles, you know, like, like the reason why we don't have 20 people knocking down our doors is because people have to warm up to it and get used to the idea that they're going to be sharing mm. their most vulnerable experiences with people that they don't know, yeah. you know? And like, it, it's all, it's all one thing. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, that that's the work that we're trying to do to kind of like dismantle and erase that stigma. Mm. Mm. I gotta be thinking too that I mean Jabari mentioned you know, kids can bounce back, but when they become adults, you know they can bounce bounce the other direction again, you know, and and sort of that trauma that they never sort of dealt with as a child comes out some way in adulthood, and they might not even be aware of it, you know. Uh, and I I mean I just I know from the time I've I've spent in therapy. The therapist was often saying, you know, let's talk about your four-year-old self. Let's talk about your eight-year-old self and and kind of what he's thinking because because this all started then and we gotta we gotta we you don't, that four-year-old that eight-year-old never dealt with those things um, and so I gotta be thinking. I mean, obviously you've only been doing this for a few years, but I, I have no doubt that you know you're. You're not only building this resilience and building these skill, these social emotional learning skills, but you're also addressing the. It's early intervention for trauma. Is, is 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 a lot of this work, and it's 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 going to make a difference when they're adults. I have no doubt. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to talk to you guys in sort of twenty years, you know, and 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 the conversations you'll have with some of these kids when they're you know in their in adulthood. I mean, it's not all going to be happy stories for sure, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're going to hear about how, you know, the vill the village the the village rope saved my life. Um, in so the third secret word is tap, T A P, tap. Some way, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I work at an all boys Catholic school. It's probably um, <clears throat> predominantly black. Uh, yeah, fifty-two percent black. Uh, so even within that space every day, I, you know, I don't do my my role there is a little bit different than when it is at the school, but but it's kind of more all encompassing, right? Yeah. Um. So now I feed the kids. Mm. Um, I teach a mental health class, I teach a Black History class. I take kids on field trips. I check in with grades. I communicate with parents. Um, wow. Even when they graduate, you know, some of these kids need money for basic things in college. 
So it's it's kind of never ending, and you know, the the love that I get from those boys, like you know what I mean, is like nothing. Like I I can I think you know they can't pay me a salary, but it's funny because sometimes you know one of the kids is graduating, like Mr. Perry, you still working here? Like mm-hmm. why are you still here? It's <laughs> like I'm here because I love what I do every day, right? <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. But to him, you know, he makes like I was working at McDonald's or something. It's like, like it's like, no, like, you know, like I actually like what I do. Like, you know what I mean? like this isn't like working at McDonald's. Like, uh, it's so funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. But um, even just the graduation and just the hugs I got from these boys, even yeah. even just sat in the hallway. Some days I was standing in front of my door and kids just walking and give me a hug. Like, wow. Sometimes I don't even know these boys well. It would be like a boy who I might just know in passing. Um, but yeah, just, you know, just, just that work I do there, even it's just like you know, just amazing. Like, you know. That's um, awesome. So yeah, I, I get to see it in real time. And yeah, I know when I see these kids in ten, fifteen years, and the impact that I made. Yeah, um, bringing some of these modalities, even though it's not the village path that we do. Yeah, just you know, just being there, just providing unrelenting support and love for the kids in the graduation. Yeah, the salary can can change that. Yeah, I mean, I can really see how this work fills your cup for sure. That's awesome. Okay, well, that was two of them. One more acronym here. So, what's what's the tap? The village tap. What's that about? You want to take that, Mark? Sure. So, uh, village tap is a ther- therapy access program. Um, it works sort of like an EAP, mm. so an employee assistance program. Yeah. So uh, what it is, is um, individuals who might not have received therapy in the past or just need some financial assistance or just want to get connected to someone, we um, provide a warm handoff to a black and brown therapist Mm. um, and we pay for five free sessions for them. Wow. So it it gets them started um, and ready to go. The funding that we get receive for that is all donations mm. at the moment. Um, but yeah, so if someone's interested in getting therapy, it also is for the um, uh, Missouri, state of Missouri. Mm. Um, but it allows them to get started, you know? Um, it's probably our, our most popular program because it's like, you know, kind of like direct impact, you know? Mm. Um, um, the majority of the individuals who go through that program have never received therapy before. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just an incredible program. Um, something that was kind of driven from the money that we raised, um, during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we've had so many people apply we've you know paid for over 100 free sessions wow um it's it's incredible and and so do do uh, i'm curious do do you uh find you have guys that are attending the hawk that then go and take advantage of the therapy too so yeah yeah um so so it's not so it, it initially um, like Jamar said before, it was created for support, like financial support. Right. So like the individuals who are coming to our hawk were like, well, you know, some of the folks may have lost their job. Um, some of the folks might be interested in therapy. Let's just raise some funds to kind of help them pay for it. Um, and it and 
though some individuals who have been to Oaxaca have gone through the program is not just for them mm. you know um, a lot of times we've seen that um, other organizations will have us down um, or will reference us and that's how we find out um, you know actually a lot of women um, who hear <laughs> about it are like Hey, my son, my husband, mm. my you know, yeah, family member would really benefit from this program, um, and they will refer, you know, um, a person. So, honestly, we've kind of gotten referrals from everywhere. Mm. You know, the therapists themselves might be like, "Hey, you know, this person sounds like they'd be a great candidate for this. Will you pay?" And we usually don't turn anyone away. Um, we've had some cases where we've, you know, re-ups, they were able to re-up and get five more free sessions. Mm. Um, you know, it's really there so that people, um, can access therapy, you know, yeah. as best we can. We don't have tons of funds for it, but, um, as long as we do have funds, we're hoping that we can continue to provide the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of, well, funds was kind of going to be my next question. Before we get we'll come back to the tap in a second, with the with the the rope and the hawk, is that all uh, like volunteer run by you guys or? So the hawk is one hundred percent, you know, volunteer run by us. Yeah, we don't make anything off of it. There's no future plans to make anything off of it. Yeah, um, maybe one day, you know. But it's not really. I don't think it's high on our list of making money. It's no, an no. hour a month, maybe two hours a month, since we're doing it twice right now. Um, so yeah, there, I don't think there's any. You know, that's more of a community-based, you know, freebie. Um, yeah. The hawk right now. Um, I'm sorry, the rope. Uh, so nonprofits reach out to us for that. Sometimes folks will reach out and be like, "Hey, we can do individual stuff," and it's like, you know, it's kind of not what we do so mm. we'll refer them to other organizations yeah who are doing that work on a one-on-one on -one mentoring type basis yeah. yeah um but yeah that, that's more like nonprofits or reach out or schools to reach out for us to, to do that work but just as i guess so just as far as facilitating it, like is like is it just the two of you that do the facilitating do you have a few guys or like how's that work um, so that's been a conversation we're having right now is <laughs> right to the day. That's when the last few months we've been having a conversation about stepping away from the facilitation of the hawk at least. Um and having that, you know, be more um like guest speakerish, I guess, in a yep. way. Um on a on a monthly basis and kind of planning that out, which everything is kind of moving so fast and we haven't had time to plan that out really. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's the way that it will look going forward as we step away. And do more like of the day to day businessy type work, hopefully. Yeah. The venture plan. And then, and so what? What I mean, you talked about the 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 campaign you did sort of around COVID, where you got sixteen thousand. Um, what else are you doing, like for fundraising, to try to keep the tap going? Um, so we have. Uh, so one of the people who actually went through the tap and to the hawk um as a photographer named tyler small mm. um and he's also a father and he wanted the last year he did a photo fundraiser 
um, for us, and we'll be doing something similar this time. Awesome. Taking pictures of families and fathers, and then that'll be followed up by like um, a Q and A sort of living room style session uh, with fathers. Um, yes. It's taking place June sixteenth. Um, oh yeah. We just had like a game night um, around our birthdays in May um, at the National Blues Museum here in St. Louis. Um, we had like a card tournament. We had like a Harlem Nights um, the movie theme. We came dressed um, up. Um, we have yearly, we do a, a big event called Unmask, which is a men's storytelling event um, for all self-identified men within the community. Mm. It's probably our biggest um fundraiser that we do every year um that takes place during domestic violence awareness month in october hmm. um so right now you know soon we'll be gathering stories for that and gathering folks for that um that was a two-night event this year to be a one-night event hmm. so you know it's a lot of fundraising um we're just now a lot of you know I, we, we talked well, i talked to a nonprofit who was forming and they, they had the they had this beautiful business plan laid out um for this thing that we're about to launch and we didn't do that we started doing the work before we did all of that stuff yeah um you know now we had to figure out how do we put together a board that's the thing social work wow. teach you right how do we put together a board we did that how do you get a bank account how do you write bylaws how do you you know you know we had to under I mean, we had to learn a lot of things in which we which you know school social work really isn't trained to to teach you um, in terms of nonprofit management, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff away from the nonprofit model because it's you know predatory in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, but yeah, these are all things we're figuring out. How do we contract invoices? Like we had to learn a lot in a short amount of, of time. Um, we're still learning um, as we as we move forward. A lot of things. And one of the things like fundraising. It's funny because Brian mentioned earlier a lot of the nonprofits would reach out to us and. A lot of people, it looks bigger than what it is. Like, we're just a two man team. Yeah. Um, with $2,000 in the bank at this wow. point. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, it looks bigger than what it is, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing some days. Sometimes people are like, oh, you know, like, you know, we get inundated with questions like all the time about different things. Yeah. Way larger organizations than, you know, than we have at this particular time. Um, so I think it looks bigger to people than what it actually is. Well, part of it's this fantastic website you got. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are like, oh, this is a million dollar organization. No. Yeah, yeah. Or well, even just looking at, uh, <laughs> you know, your your the, the just the 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 podcast here, um, it just I mean, it just looks awesome. Well, is this something you still got going? What we could, tell me a little bit about the the Mentel podcast. I like the little play on words there too. I think there's something happening there. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, the Black Mentel pot, uh, Village podcast was um, kind of created as an extension of our Healing and Writing Circle. Mm. So the Healing and Writing Circle was like the first thing, and honestly, the the podcast was actually our second thing. Mm. Um, and what we wanted to create was an opportunity for our guests to, um, share a story, uh, a piece about themselves. So, um, the first two episodes was just, uh, myself and Jamar. Um, uh, my episode was about grief. 
So mm. I talk about how I lost, you know, my brother to cancer at a young age. Mm. Um, my mom was murdered. Wow. Um, and and my father died later, you know, later in my life, you know, but how, you know, that death was different because we didn't have a, you know, a, a good relationship. Mm. Right. So it was about all those things. It was about grief. Mm. Um, and then, you know, Jamar talked about, you know, um, trying to have a child, you know, and, you know, um, just the trials and tribulations of having that. Wow. Um, and so we share just like our vulnerability, like on this medium so that people see like, wow, like pe- these these men are like sharing their stories. And then we open it up to a discussion mm. about like, how did you feel about that? You mm. know, like, what about this? Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Um, and the, the guests that we've had on that podcast are like some of the most incredible people like in this area um mm. and they were able to do the same thing you know wh- whether it be you know um you know do do a song or write a poem or a recite a poem or anything just tell them um t- just allow them to be vulnerable um before we actually open up to a discussion mm. so yeah, I'm just scrolling through some of these guests and these topics and really awesome. Looks like last episode was in November. So you got you got, got more coming or <laughs> lot, I know you got a lot on your plate. Yeah. Um I think eventually we'll pick that back up. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think, you know, I like I like the idea of it exi- existing, like, you know, people still go to it and think yeah. regularly, which it isn't. Um, but then we had actually funding to do that at the time. Uh, okay. At the time. Um, so we eventually, hopefully, there's something we're able to bring back. I think once we, I think when we meet, you know, more now, I think of my vision of it is more strategic now. Mm. We have like, you know, more community partners we're partnering with and working with. And, you know, we meet cool, interesting people. Um, so I think now it's more strategic than it's something we do on a regular basis and maybe yeah yeah so if folks wanted to uh you know um support the village path or donate or do anything like that uh, how can they do that so on our website if you go to the villagepath.org um you can click on our support page and you can hit the donation button there it is yeah and they can name their price whatever they would like to donate um, and that helps us keep this thing running. Nice. And I see you got a bit. Of, you got a bit of village pass swag too that uh, folks could could purchase. Is that? <laughs> yeah, we're trying to re up on the swag right now. We've got to freshen up the web page. Uh, well, we'll be having some t shirts that'll be coming out pretty soon. Yeah. Um, you know, and stuff like that. Awesome. But yeah, we're trying to like find different ways to raise money. So yeah, right on. Well, guys, this is this has been real. This is a really fantastic initiative you guys have put together. I mean, yeah, you guys are doing so much for 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 folks that you know maybe no one's doing anything for. Um, and uh, I think you're you're changing lives, and uh, you know both both for the kids and the adults. Like this stuff is just just amazing. 
um, just so, so impressed. Um, and uh, yeah, honored that you're willing to come on and share your stories and talk about, you know, and be a little vulnerable with me as well and talk about the great work you're doing. And uh, yeah, um, just really, really, really awesome. And uh, 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 I, I hope to keep following you and maybe have you guys back on a little bit and see how things are going. Absolutely. Thank you for having us on. Absolutely. Appreciate it. No worries. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us, Ben. Yeah, you bet. Cheers.